Amen. Amen. Uh, if you have a family today, would you raise your right hand? All right, this is going to apply to all of you. I'm glad, okay? Everybody has a family, uh, and, and it's whether they're uh, present or absent, you know, depending on your stage of life. Um, we've got families by blood. Uh, some have adopted families. Some have, uh, you know, just some families, it's not even uh, by blood, but maybe it's just a, a, a group of, maybe your neighbor even adopts you sometime as a family. Have you got that lady you're not related to? She's your, kind of your grandma or that guy who really is not your dad, but he's like a dad to you. We've got families of all shapes and colors and sizes. There's various degrees of family connectedness. Some families talk only at Christmas and some families talk twice a day. I mean, it just depends on how you were raised and what was going on. Uh, and it's kind of, the, the families are funny though, because those without a family, we think of as lonely. We're like, oh, you know, they don't have their family and you get lonely. Yet though, when we're with our family all the time, what do we want to do? Be alone. Isn't that weird? It's like, we don't have a family. You want to be with the family. Then you have a family. You're like, okay, we're stressed. I need some space. Uh, we've got in-laws. Some people have outlaws. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, so families are interesting things. You know, at the end of the day, no matter what they are, you say, hey, but we're family, right? I'll give you an example. Uh, it's like when you, you go on vacation and someone feels like they can take the liberty to be moody. You know, it's like of all the times you go on vacation, somebody is going to be moody. It would be that teenager who can't talk to his girlfriend all the week or you take the cell phone away or, or somebody who just, you know, has, has that moment where they just feel like they just want to complain or whine or whatever. And somehow or another... While if this was any other people in the world, some stranger or coworker, you would never go on that trip with that person again. But because they're family, they'll be there next year, right? Isn't that weird? There's something about family that you're stuck with them. I mean, another example. You say like at Christmas. At Christmas, everybody comes together. Our family, we have uh, family reunions are our Christmases. All, everybody comes in. And everybody comes in. And that one person shows up whom everybody knows did something horrible this year. They, or they cheated on their spouse and they're bringing their girlfriend to Christmas or whatever it is. Hey, my family's from Arkansas, all right? So, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, nobody says anything. And somehow or another, you make the best out of the evening. Nobody brings it up, whatever that person did. You know, they got, went to jail last weekend and then they showed up at Christmas or whatever. You just sit next to them, you eat your chicken and dumplings, and you smile, and they're your cousin or whatever, and you have a happy Thanksgiving or a Merry Christmas, and next year you do it all over again because they're family. They're family. So families are interesting. But I want to change our perspective this morning a little bit about church and talk about family uh, because God had a great plan with Abraham in Genesis and uh, in chapter 19 and, and 20. Uh, God is just moving in Abraham's life, and, and he says, hey, I'm going to make you the father of many nations uh, and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars and through the seed, which is Jesus Christ, I'm going to cause all nations uh, to worship me. And, and basically, uh, the idea is that God is going to make a glorious family through Jesus Christ and they'll all be sons of God by faith. Just like Abraham becomes the father of faith to the Jewish people and to us today. And so God had this great big plan for a family. And this word family of God, you don't see it a whole lot in Scripture, but it's a theme that we'll pick out today. The word family, did you know this, actually comes from the word father or fatherhood. It means of the father, family. And so it's kind of good today that God is leading us on this, on this Father's Day. But spiritually, if you look at the word family, when you say family of God, 
If you're a family, and my name, my last name is Harris because my dad's last name is Harris, and uh, my daughter's last name is Harris because it follows the path of the father, the life of that family, uh, and, and the world today no, normally follows the life of the father. And so uh, that name trans, uh, keeps going. And the Bible says that uh, in Ephesians that we have uh, a God in heaven who has deri- everyone has derived their name through the father, that we all come from our heavenly father. Because we're the family. And so if you think about it this way, uh, we all together, being the family of God, we have derived our name from God. He is our Father because He's the one we've come from. And it simply means this. He is our life source. God is our life source. No matter what you're going through in this life, if you, if you take it all the way back to the Garden of Eden, we have all got to remember that God is my source of life. I can't go through anything without Him. He's got to be my everything. He's the one that I come from. He's the one uh, that I'm, uh, the, the, gave me the breath to breathe, the blood and the strength of my body. He's the one that's going to uh, see me through trials and tribulations. He's going to be the one to resurrect me on the last day. If we're saved, He's the one that's provided an eternal home for me. He is the one that can get me through this crisis in my life. He's the one. He's the source. Amen? All right. Somebody's here this morning. All right. And so family, when we think family of God, it's not a singular church. It's not a denomination. It's everyone this. This is what it means. The family of God is a group of people. Are you all a group of people here today? Okay, there's three of you. It's a group of people who have a shared life source in God the Father and who've become new people because He's put His Spirit up within them because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to say it again. We have a shared life source in God the Father. We are new creations, a new people, because the Holy Spirit has come into our hearts by faith in Jesus Christ. We are the family of God. But here's the problem. So many people today in America fail to see the benefit of being the family of God. And that's what we're really going to talk about this morning. What's the benefit? What's the blessings? What's, what does it mean to be the family of God? Some, you know, many people think they're great. Maybe they go to one, the church once or twice a month. Uh, but you know, it tells us something when we don't make time to be God's family. Uh, it tells God something. If you have a child, let me say this. If you have a child and you guys are having Christmas or you guys are having weekly uh, chicken, and dump, chicken and dumplings or gumbo or jambalaya, whatever you want to have, and say you're having a family gathering, and that one son or that one daughter doesn't show up, it says something to you about the priorities in their life and where they're at and their relationship with you. If they don't want to spend time with their brothers and sisters and they don't come, they don't call, uh, and doesn't it say something, right? Okay, and so that is the same way is true. When we're looking at the family of God, how do, do, we, do we see the value in belonging and being together? And I'm going to ask you to do something for me. Every time today that I say the word together, because this is a key word, I want you to say amen. So we're going to practice, all right? Do we see the value of being and belonging together? Together. Okay, all right. I think we got it. Okay, so you got to listen. This is going to make sure. I'm going to notice if you're paying attention or if you're sleeping, all right? Together. Amen. Okay, very good. Who are we? We, the church, man, is a place where we learn to grow in a loving and authentic relationship where we bear one another's burdens, we pray for, we correct, we encourage, we exhort, and we build each other's faith. The family of God is your and mine's true identity. That's who we are. That's who you'll be forever in eternity, together. 
forget. All right. This is going to be fun. All right. Who are we? Number one, I'm going to give you three things we are. I think these guys got it on here. Uh, who are we? Number one, we are children of God. Let's look at this together. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. And the New Living says this, You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who've been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ. It's like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You're his heirs. The promise to Abraham belongs to you. You become a part of God's end-time plan for a great and mighty family when by faith you confess Jesus Christ. That means you give up your life to change the direction of your future. You say, by faith, God, I'm willing to sell all and follow you. And he says, the Holy Spirit comes into you by faith. You receive that great promise to be Abraham's great descendants by faith. You become the people of God together and you're saved. You become a child of God. So if you're a child of God, if I'm a child of God, and Pastor John's a child of God, and Cynthia's a child of God, that means we're brothers and sisters, right? We're all family. Okay, number one, so you're a child of God, children of God. Number two, the Bible says we're the household of God or the family of God. Ephesians 2.19 says that now Gentiles, you're no longer strangers or foreigners, you're citizens along of all God's holy people. You are members of God's family, or your translation may say household. Being a child of God or in the household of God, doesn't, it, does, it means this. When we get saved, often we think, okay, I go down to that altar. I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And this is a very personal, individual thing. You know, in, in America, we're a very individual society. If you go over into the uh, Eastern uh, world or in uh, Europe or uh, Africa, not Europe, uh, Africa or the East, uh, it has got more family-oriented society. We're very individualistic here. We're a me-centered society, right? So when we come down that altar, we often think, hey, this is me, me and God thing. But in fact, when you do that, you give your life to God, you get adopted into His household. So no longer is your life really all about you anymore. It's about being a part of His family. And we miss this sometimes in American preaching. We don't talk about this so much. But if you look in the Bible, like I'm going to show you today, it's throughout That the power of God's Spirit doesn't just change you individually, but it makes you a part of a new community that you have responsibility to. I love what Joshua Harris says in his book, uh, Stop Dating the Church. He says, In a world divided by gender, race, class, and politics, the church takes people who once hated each other and makes them members of one family. That's awesome. The church can take a screwed-up, messed-up world of division and divisiveness and run by the devil, he can take all these people, race, gender, uh, politics, culture, bring them together, and we are one. I love going on missions trips because you get to see people who you have nothing in common with, most likely. But in Christ, man, you go there and you just sense that we are one. We're one family. We're one household. Something spiritual. So children of God, household of God, and lastly, the brethren. Who you are. I'm going to speak in this identity over you because this has got to unroot what the world has said. Throughout, if you go in Scripture, a lot of times um, you'll see that it says, I greet all you brothers, or I pray that you'll bless the brothers, or whatever. The word brothers in the Greek there, it's actually intergender. It means um, male or female. It means the brethren or the brotherhood. And so when you look in there, Paul uh, oftentimes uses it. He says, I'm praying for you, my brothers. 
he means I'm praying for the whole household of God in that place. I'm praying for my brothers and sisters, my fellow Christians. Uh, and it means this, this gathering. You know, in the South, uh, growing up, and we still do it here today, we say brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. We kind of use it as a title. Normally, it's for the respectable, older, immature saints, right? Because we don't say it to most of those young people who just get saved, right? It's just kind of an honor thing and a respect thing. But when Paul said it in the New Testament, it, it said, he didn't use it as a title perhaps, but he said, you are all my brothers, you are all my sisters. And what he meant by this, in the ancient world, to tell someone they were your brother or sister, even though they weren't biologically, it meant that I am seeking the best for you. It meant that you are as if my family, we are our brothers, and, and I am seeking the best for you. So if you call someone brother or sister or so-and-so, right? Don't call them so-and-so. Brother or sister, so-and-so, right? Uh, that's the gossip part we'll talk about later. But you're saying, I love you and I want the best for you. Man, what if we did that? What if we were thinking that when we, when we greet, when we see somebody, we want, man, hey, man, hey, brother, hey, sister, I'm thinking the best for you. I'm praying the very best for you. I'm wishing and hoping and, and, and praying that God would just bless you because I love you that much. Is that your thought? For people in this room today, that people that call this church home and people even at the churches down the street, man, I want the best for every one of God's children. I pray the best over you. I don't think ill of you. I pray the best over you. And uh, and you think about it this way. How many people uh, did that? And, and I don't I don't know if I should raise your hands or not, because we might think weird of you. How many people know what it means to be a blood brother? Right. Did they do that here when you're little? Okay. How many, you know, maybe, you know, guys, you cut your finger with your best friend in the playground and, and the other one cuts their hand. And they mix their hand and their blood together. Don't do that. Okay. <laughs> Kids, if you're here today, don't do that. That's wrong. That's not good in today's world. But back then you do that. And, and it pledged your allegiance to someone, your blood brother or your blood sister. Right. And it was this. I would just rather you pinky swear or something, whatever, which is weird in a sense. I'm taking my weakest, smallest finger and promising you I'll do something. But anyway, blood brothers, it meant you pledged your allegiance to them. How much... Okay, and so that, that friendship was bonded, and it meant something. It was bound in blood, right? That, man, for the rest of our lives, you know, until we get 16 and go after different girls, you know, we're going to be blood brothers, right? You know, uh, it, that's kind of what we did, right? And so blood, Scripture says... That blood is the life source. That in Christ, you and I have redemption through His blood. And Scripture says we have the forgiveness of our sins. His blood purchased us. It redeemed us from the penalty of our sins. It cleansed us. It brought us near. It made peace with God. It obtained our eternal redemption. The blood of Jesus Christ. Man, that's powerful. It cleansed us, renewed us, made us alive with Christ. The blood. And so if this blood, that we talk about earthly blood making a bond... And this earthly blood making an allegiance to. How much more should I have an allegiance to you, my brothers and sisters of the blood of Jesus Christ? Think about it. Think of a universal perspective for a moment. Jesus Christ shed his blood for Joe and for Denny. And so I should have an awesome allegiance to them because God loved them that much. God loved me that much. And God loves you that much. And so I'm, I'm thinking, God... How should our allegiance change that, man, we are the church of Jesus Christ bought with His precious blood. 
How much I should speaking things over you. How much I should be blessing you and praying for you and loving you and caring for you. And so my question this morning is how much does the blood of Jesus make you rethink your allegiance to the things of this world and to the people of God? Uh, we see a phrase uh, in, the, in the world today called family first. I'm going to put my family first. We all want to put our family first. You're working too hard. Put your family first. You guys got too many things going on in your life. Put your family first. And that's true. We hear that term often. But I want to tell you something. Jesus advocated a little bit different allegiance and responsibility in Scripture. I'm going to give you three Scriptures this morning on the screen that you can look at and study later. But in Luke chapter 9, verse 59, Jesus tells a man he's wanting to bury his sick father. He wants to follow Jesus. He's called. He's got a calling on his life. But he says, hey, my father's dying. He's sick. Let me go take care of my family responsibilities first. I need to, I'm the oldest child. I want to stay home and wait until he dies. I'm going to bury him. Jesus says what? Okay, no. He says, allow the dead to bury the dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Whoa, that's pretty heavy. We might want to water that down a little bit. So let's go on. All right. So then another one who looks uh, and just want to tell his family bye says, all right, God, I want to follow you, but they don't know I'm here. I'm at this crusade. I just kind of showed up because I saw a bunch of people and cars parked out front. But uh, I got to go home. They're not. I was supposed to mow the yard, told my wife that. Uh, so I need to at least run home and tell them something to pack the lunch, you know, put you're going to have to take the kids to school tomorrow. I'm going to be with Jesus on a crusade. He says, what does he say? He says, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Whoa, wait a minute. We might want to water that down a little bit later, too. Okay, so let's look at another one. Matthew 12, 47. Somebody interrupts Jesus. He's teaching in a house, having a good time preaching the Gospels. His family shows up outside the door. They're waiting on him to get done. So someone politely kind of interrupts him and says, hey, you might want to hurry up a little bit. Your family's outside waiting. You haven't seen them in a while. They want to talk to you. They got something to tell you. Uh, and Jesus points to his disciples. He says, hey, behold, my mother and my brothers, whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven, he is my brother, my sister and my mother. Hmm. Somebody might get slapped in today's world for that, right? Uh, he went so far as to say in Luke 14 that if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, man, and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. We want to water that down to make it a lot less painful. And we want to water that down and, and change that up a little bit. So we say, well, he's really talking about culture. He's really talking about the spiritual side. But to the dude who wanted to go bury his father, he wasn't. Right? I mean, he literally said that. I mean, can you imagine if this was the requirement today? We like to look at Scripture through our own cultural context and just kind of play the safe zone. But in reality, if we look at the words in red and say, my gosh, whoa, hold a second. Let me look at this and say, is that what he really said? Is that what he really, really means? Is that what it really takes? He's changing my allegiances here. Because when you go back into the first century, man, family is where it's at. The father says yes and no. And it's not, well, one, two, three, put your toy down. It is now, kid, you might get stoned tonight. You know, like it's one of those things. It's it's a there's no playing around with this. This is what dad says. If dad's a carpenter, you're going to be a carpenter. You don't get to do whatever you want to do. It's family first. And so for Jesus to come into a family first culture and say, hey, I'm creating something new here. I'm creating something 
new, a new family, a new allegiance. And he's not saying, hey, I want you to love your family less. He's saying, I want you to love God, His mission, and His people more. When we come into the, the church and we become saved and we accept Jesus Christ, we take on a new family. We take on a new allegiance. And it's stronger than our blood. It's stronger than the blood to my child. It's stronger than the blood to my aunts, my uncles, my relatives. It's bought and paid for with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. There's no greater blood. That's when Jesus comes on the scene later and He says, there'll be a time in the end time where people in your own family will persecute you and hate you and say all kinds of slanderous things about that. They'll throw you into jail. But the family of God is bought with the blood of Jesus. You see, it's a spiritual thing. We are a family bought spiritually with the blood of Jesus Christ. And so our allegiance, let me just be very clear and honest and radical. Your allegiance to Christians outweigh spiritually in the universe your allegiance to your blood family. That's not a very popular thing in the South where we're very family-centered, which is awesome. Let's be family-centered. Let's be family first. But at the same time, this is the words in red. This is Scripture. We have an allegiance to one another. Man, it got quiet in here today. You know, in the New Testament, these guys, they came out. Let me just break it down a little bit more. These guys, when they get saved, these Greeks, man, these, these people got saved in the New Testament. They told their families, hey, I'm joining this new crazy cult down the road, which is sometimes called us, sanctuary, right? We are those people, right? We're joining this new crazy cult. It's called Christians. We're following this dead guy named Jesus, but he's not really dead. He's alive, uh, and they saw him. But he's not here on the earth. He's a spirit living within us. They're thinking, right, okay, yeah, sure. You're the one at Christmas that we're going to be looking at weird this year, right? And so they got ostracized. If you would say that you were a Christian in the New Testament, you would have been ostracized from all of the family gatherings, all the family reunions, all the birthday parties, all the, all the Christmases, which they didn't have, all the temple gatherings. You couldn't even participate. They'd look at you down the street and be like... They can't wear the pagan symbols we wear. They can't have the markings that we have. They, the, the, all the things that we've done for you. Everybody, everything in our entire life revolves around this temple worship or the Jews or the temple worship of the uh, pagans. And so they would be ostracized. So what would they do? They would go to their church every night of the week, eat together, fellowship together, pray together, worship together. They were excited, though, about being the people of God. There was something better. It, there was something in this church that meant something more than what they had with their family and their identity and the society they lived in, their jobs. Even uh, They would even probably lose promotions. They would lose things because they became the family of God. But they joyfully did it because there's something special. There's something supernatural when God makes us His family. There's something about being in this room week after week and praying together and leaning on one another and, and blessing one another and knowing that people in this room got my back. That when I'm down, they're going to pick me up. That when I'm going through trials and temptations and tribulations, somebody in this room's praying for me. That if I've got a problem, I can confess my deepest, most darkest secrets to people in this room. And I know they won't gossip on me. They won't slander me. They won't run me around town. They won't stab me in the back because we are... Blood brothers and blood sisters bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We better guard that, church. This isn't just a group of people we can come and have a good time with. We are bought together with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I almost lost you there for a second. Together 
Be the family of God. How do you do that? Man, and you think, man, how do I... I can't rationalize, you know, what he's saying here. I've got to love this family even more than my own family. That's kind of hard to do. How do you do that? Here's the key. Bring your family with you. Make your family the church. Be the church together, and you won't have to. You won't have to fight those allegiances when your family is the church. Amen? Amen. Maybe give you some ten, ten quick things about the do's and the don'ts of being the family of God because sometimes what happens is we come into this place, you and I have different experiences in family. My mom and dad are here today. I've been blessed with good parents who led me in the Lord and our family didn't raise with a lot of drama. Maybe our extended family, of course, but us... You know, uh, they led me in church and, and raised me uh, right. That's why I'm as nice and awesome as I am today, right? You know? Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, so, but we don't always have good and bad experiences. So we bring a lot of that into us when we come to the church. And so when we're the family of God, we don't know how to talk about one another. We don't know how to lean on one another, trust one another. Sometimes hard to do. Man, I've never had... I know a person who never hugged in their family. And so when they came into the church and we were all hugging one another like... Ooh, it's kind of weird. You know, like, I don't know about all this. You know, it's not how I'm used to. So we bring things in with us. And so sometimes uh, we have family members that are givers and takers, right? We know what I'm talking about here this morning. You'll always know them. It's the person, the, the taker is the one who's always in need. No matter what time of year, there's something they need from you. And the givers are the ones who's always given something. They're always helping the takers out. And sometimes we bring that into church. And so Josh Harris in his book again wrote, he said, we have to, as a church, as a churchgoer and a, and a church attender, change our mindset from being a consumer to being a communer, from a consumer mentality to a communing mentality. That we're not here to take from one another. We're here to give. Amen? We come to this room. I'm coming thinking, who can I bless today? Who can I pray for today? Who can I hug and shake and encourage today? Who's going to be down today? Who can we give a word to today? We're coming to give. We know this, that He laid down His life for us, John. 1 John 3.16 says, And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, one another. Ten don'ts, real quick, I'm not going to ask you to memorize this, but ten don'ts on the family of God that you can see from Scripture are these. Just real quick. Number one, don't copy this world. If we're the family of God, we're not to be misled. We're not to participate in sin. Amen? Don't copy this world. As a family of God, we don't think too highly of ourselves. We don't boast. We're not selfish. We're not to be greedy. Don't. Don't think too highly of ourselves. We're not coming in here to get a bigger head and and say, oh, yeah, we're so awesome. No, we're coming here to bless one another, to lift up one another. Amen? Don't play favorites. There are no favorites in this room. I don't care what anybody might think. There are no favorites from my desk to the back pew from the pulpit to the pew i don't care there are no good side of the tracks bad side of the tracks there are no people who have a better reputation and good reputation we're all messed up screwed up sinners who have been bought with the precious blood of jesus christ amen and so there's no there's no favorites there's no partiality in this room in this church we're to be kind and uh number four don't judge now we all will be judged by jesus christ but it says that we should judge ourselves first before we counsel others or encourage others that we don't look down on others we don't condemn people in our families amen we don't speak ill of people in our families we shut down gossip when we hear it about our family amen we don't grumble or complain number five we endure trials and temptations together okay there we are together amen see i'm trying i'm making sure you're listening this morning don't grumble 
Don't hinder. Don't hinder one another. Think the best of it. Don't, call, don't do anything that causes somebody else to stumble. Don't argue with our brothers and sisters. Don't give offense or anything that would cause offense. Number seven, don't divide. Dear Lord, help us not to divide another church in LaSalle Parish. Amen. Amen. Don't divide. We guard unity here. We're shutting down things that speak of division. Don't tear apart. That's a command from God in 1 Corinthians. Don't tear apart God's house. Don't do anything to tear apart God's house. Number eight, don't rely on religion. We're a relationship-based church. We're not here because we believe in a bunch of rituals. Families, number eight, number nine, sorry, don't pretend. Families don't lie to one another. Families don't fake it. You know what? When I'm home, I'm a lot less like Pastor Heath. Just be honest. Me and my wife speak pretty bluntly together sometimes because we don't pretend, right? What would the church look like if we stopped pretending? We took off the masks and just said, hey, this is who I am. I want to be better in Jesus Christ. I need your help. Huh? Right? We don't have to put on a show. We're family. Take off your shoes. Come comfortable, right? Maybe some of you should leave your shoes on. But we're family. Don't pretend. Really love one another. The Bible says that God hates hypocrisy. The world's had enough of it. Let's stop pretending. Number 10, don't forget. Don't forget who you were before you came in this room and became a family member. Don't forget what the gospel of Jesus Christ has done to you in your life. And don't forget to share it with somebody else. Don't forget. Ten things, I think you take that home with you. And more importantly to me, there are ten don'ts, but there are five do's. Five things, I want, this is what I want you to remember today. Five things that we do as a family of God, especially here at this church. Five things we do as the family of God. Number one is that we live together. That's not what you think it means. Living together in today's world is not what it meant in Scripture. Let me read it to you. Ephesians 2.5 means this. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, Jesus made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved through faith. You know what that means? It means that the Christian journey is meant to be lived together. That you and I, when I get this new birth in me, I'm meant to share it with you. I'm meant to encourage you and walk with you. You walk with me and I walk with you. That this is not an individualistic sport. This is a team sport. Okay, for those of you who like sports analogies, that's the little as I can give. That's, a, that's, that's about where I end, right? But it's a team sport. It's something that we have to do uh, in a family environment, that we go through this uh, together. We mentor young Christians. We testify. And I love how Paul says that. He says, when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together. It wasn't by yourself. It, what, you cannot be a Christian by yourself. No matter what this economy or this world or American church has said about being able to sit at home, and if you're disabled, that's one thing. If you're in a nursing home or whatever, if you're ill, that's one thing. But you cannot scripturally back up being Christian by yourself. It is not in the Bible. You're supposed to live together. Number two, you are to gather together. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 is very clear. Do not forsake the assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. If you don't see the day drawing near today, I pray Lord's blessing and help on you. As long as you, when you sense that Jesus Christ is coming soon, he, 
uh, the author of Hebrews is saying, you need to be in the church house as much as you can. You need to be gathering together. And this is what this means. He's not talking about coming on a Sunday morning worship or whether or not you should be involved in a small group. Back then, they just enjoyed being with one another. You know, and I'm going to encourage you this way. The world today will not survive as messed up as the world is. People who are getting off of drugs, alcohol addictions, who's never had a dad or a mom in their life, who have no semblance of what morality means or marriage or goodness or wholeness, they have no picture of that. There's no reference. They will not get whole living by just coming here for one hour a week on a Sunday morning. They need you. They need you and me to spend time with them, to call them, to invite them over to my house for supper, to go get coffee with them, to invite them to my maybe better functional family events. And be honest. Hey, my family's messed up too. Come along and join the ride. You know, like, right? Because let's just not be fake. Let's just say, hey, we struggle. We have issues. My life's not perfect, but we're going to do it together. That's the church. That's the church. So let me just say this. Shame on us if we're not hanging out with one another. We can't just do it. We cannot just do it just on Sunday mornings. It does not work. And that's why you see the failure of the church today in America. It's become a religious thing about just showing up on a Sunday morning, not about being the church, the family of God. Uh, well, you are a family because you spent a lot of time as a young person with your family. Uh, you didn't just pop out of the womb and just see your mom and dad once a week. You didn't just see your brothers and sisters. You grew up, yeah, and you got to be separate and independent. And that's okay. We'll do that. But especially for these new Christians, they need a lot of family. They need a lot of family. And so let's be the family of God they need. Strive together. Number three. Philippians 1.27, Paul says, I pray that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You're getting your amen quote in today. But you notice how many times that word is in Scripture? There's something to that. Strive. He says you go through trials and tribulations with one another. You, you don't focus on your own issues. You help others stand firm. You're united as one people moving forward in faith. This is a journey that we have to take with one another. We have to strive. And if you're going through a hard time, I want you to push. I want to push you. And if I'm going through a hard time, I want you to push me. I need somebody in my life who can tell me that I'm acting ignorant. We do. We all have spouses and families for that. And you can speak boldly into often of your family members and say, hey, you're being, you're being, mm-hmm, you need to stop it. <laughs> right? You might use different choice words. Hopefully, better ones, right? You need church members you can trust to speak honestly into your life. You need to get to know other people in this room, in this church, and say, I need you to keep me accountable. I need you to tell me if I'm being negative or if I'm being a gossip or if I'm not treating my family like I should or if I'm, I'm not coming to church like I should or being involved like I should. I, I need you to tell me. Uh, I need people. Don't just rely on the pastor and the pulpit to do that. Be the family. United together. Colossians 2. Two, their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love. Colossians 2, 2, knit. That word knit in the Greek, you know what it means? It means forced together in love. Yeah, Brent's got it. Forced. Okay, now think about it. That word knit means forced. It actually, if you would put it in modern context for men, men today, fathers, it means welded. 
You and I, when we become Christians, we are just made into one. He says, knitted, welded, forced in the love of Jesus Christ. You don't have a choice. The love of God should just come over you and you want to be together. You want to be united. You want to be uh, all in one. And Jesus even commands us, He says, love one another as He loved you. And He prays in John 17 that His church all be one, even as He and the Father is one, that the world may believe that there is a God when they see their church is united, when that we are one. The last one, He says, be together. B, Acts 2.42. I mean, here, get your amens on. Ready? It says, they were together. Amen. They sold their possessions. They shared with anyone who has need. They continued with one mind, worshiping daily, eating together, Amen. praising God, seeing God add souls to their church. Something wonderful happens when we just become the church because the Holy Spirit's called us to be. When the Holy Spirit naturally produces good fruit in us and we just become the people of God. We just become the family of God. We don't have to try anymore. I want to hang out with people in this room. I love getting coffee with you. I love eating lunch with you. My wife and I love having people over to our house or going to other people's houses. That's why we're here. This is not just a job. I came here to be a part of a family. We're a family. Let's be the family of God. Amen? Some of my most favorite memories when I'm growing up, thinking about the benefits of the family of God, the family jewels, if you would. When I grew up, some of my fondest memories of, man, our sort of powerful worship services when I was younger. Parents, raise your kid in church. Make them come. Bring them here. We remember powerful worship services where God baptized me in the Holy Spirit or I just saw the older people being moved into God. We, we had just mighty moves of God on you know, our Sunday night services just to see that and mark to impress something in me, to see my elders pressing in and weeping and praying and jumping and shouting and dancing and just going after God. I remember those those moments, right? I felt the tangible presence of God as a young person just by watching the people of God be the people of God. I remember, uh, you know, youth events and I remember uh, barbecues. I remember that... Uh, people and leaders in our church invited people over to the house for like big New Year's Eve parties. It wasn't things just in the church, but it was at people's homes. We played board games and we, we had fun and we laughed and we fellowshiped and we ate. Those things just naturally happened. It wasn't waiting on the pastor to organize it or the church office to organize it. It was just people just loving to be with other people. And it just blessed us. And uh, we, I remember going to um, people having babies. And I remember uh, uh, the going to the hospital visits when we went and the people in our church were sick. It wasn't just the pastor going. It was like just everybody. I mean, even today, that church uh, has since moved apart and different people move different ways. And, uh, and there was such a connection there. And even today when people are sick, I know my mom and dad will drive 10 hours to go see people who are getting married that were in that church, that we, don't even, they, that we haven't even lived there for years. But there's something happens when we become the family of God. That when we're sick, we just the hospital waiting room is full. You know, that people are just calling and sending cards and prayers because, you know, the world is missing out. They come in here. I've shared with my leadership team, there's a story of a young lady who came into a church one day, and maybe I've shared this before, there's a young lady who came into her church, and she uh, and her family were not very close. And she comes in, and the Lord impressed upon the door greeter of all people, a lady, and there was a young girl. 
And she said, I just feel, you can't, this is weird, but the Lord had laid me on my heart to, can I just give you a hug and welcome you to our church today? And the girl just began to weep because she said, I haven't had a hug from anyone in my family in over a year. You know, you just think about what the church really does have to offer. It's not always signs and wonders. Well, those are great. But sometimes just being the family to a broken and messed up world is the miracle itself. That we don't gossip, we don't slander, we love to be together. Man, you're new to our church, come over to our house. We're having a potluck, we're inviting other people over. Hey, you're new to our church or you're just getting saved, hey, I'll take you out to lunch this week. Or, hey, meet me after lunch, we'll go walk in the park or whatever. Go for full of the riding or go hunt with me, I'll show you this awesome spot to go fish. Whatever it is, be the family of God. Heaven will tell of stories after story after story of people who just said, that man, that woman was like a spiritual father, like a spiritual mother, a spiritual great uncle or aunt to me. I'm in heaven because of that person. Because they were the family of God I needed in that time in my life. And we don't come here thinking, who can do that for me? We come here thinking, how can I do that for others? And it'll happen to you. If you need it, we'll be there. There's so many benefits for being the church. We accept one another because we're all broken. We sacrifice for one another. We give financially. Many people in this room have been blessed because of the tithe giving of this local church paid for dozens and dozens of utilities and rent and car payments and needs and financial oper- you know, hospital bills and different other things because you gave to one another. That's the part of the family of God. We take care of one another. In times of need, we visit one another when we're sick. We pray for, we encourage one another, we rejoice with one another, we weep with one another, we help one another outroot sin in their life to be whole in Christ. I tell you what, if you're not a part of a small group Bible study, man, some of these people in these groups are speaking honestly to one another and, and helping one another get through hard times. We have fun fellowshipping and just talking together. Amen. Laughing and joking. We make sure everyone in this place has equipped and has a place to use their gifts. I'm going to tell you this. And it is important to realize that in the book of Acts, it says that the powerful presence of God manifested when they joined together in worship. The powerful presence of God comes here when we meet and united in spirit. And the Bible says that not only do we have this world to, to be together in, but it says that we will be And this is Scripture. We will be raptured together and we will live together forever. Better get to liking people now. Amen. Miss T, would you come? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning as we invite the presence of God who's joined us together to be one family, one mind, one accord, that His presence might be among us just ask the Holy Spirit to move upon us right now as a family of God. Lord God, we just thank you today that we are blood brothers and sisters bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray unity in your house. I pray peace in your house, O God. I pray love would abound in your house, O God, that we would be rooted and grounded in love, that with all of the saints... That together, O oh God, we would know what is the length, the width, the height, the depth of the insurpassable love of God. 
that we might be filled up, Lord, to the Holy Spirit, uh, filled up with the Holy Spirit to the depths of our innermost being, rooted and grounded in love, O oh God. Bound together, forced together, welded together, knit together, God, striving together to be one people and attending to the maturity of the faith, O oh God, that we know that when the, we are here together in one mind and one accord, God, the presence of God is here, that we are going to be raptured together, we're going to live forever together, God, and we together would be the church, that we would not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Father, you use that word so much in Scripture, and I have to know, Lord, that there is something special about the word together that we would become the family of God by the power of the Holy Spirit who is alive and living in us and love this world so they may know there is a God who loves them. You're here today and you say, Pastor Heath,